Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Welcome to another episode of Through the Corporate Glass. I'm your host Ashwini. What does it mean to be an effective problem solver in the sustainability space? How does one contribute to evidence-based policy making? How does someone with an engineering background break into policy design? To talk about this and much, much more, we have with us Hari Dilip Kumar. Hari is a generalist problem solver at heart with a decade of rich and varied experience in sustainability and social impact. He's contributed significantly to groundbreaking projects, recognized globally for innovation and impact, and he's received a long list of awards. He co-founded FluxGen, which is a sustainability technologies company in Bangalore. He then worked at Microenergy International and went on to lead the R&D at SoulShare before getting into researching systems issues at Public Affairs Center. He currently works with startups, corporates, academia, and nonprofits on a range of sustainable development challenges, helping them with business development, technology, design, policy analysis, and advocacy through Solve Sustain, a recently founded company. Welcome to our podcast, Hari, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast. I'd like to start off by asking you a bit of your fabulous journey spanning industry, academia, and entrepreneurship, and what inspired you to get into sustainability problem solving? Ashwini, thank you so much for uh, having me on to the show. and asking me about these these things because I think about them a lot and uh, maybe I will have something to share with your viewers as well. It's a great question. How did I get into in what I call sustainability problem solving? So it started when I was doing what was then my PhD in Indian Institute of Science and I was doing it at a field which was at the confluence of mathematics, physics and computer science. It was pretty high tech but after about three and a half years of doing that, I realized that it wasn't a field for me because it was too isolated from the problems I could see around me. And the primary application of the research I was doing was to break encryption, which was not my cup of tea. And so I dropped out of that. I took a master's and dropped out of that. And I taught for a year after that, trying to find myself and find my orientation in the world again. And I had a great experience teaching, but I realized that the way teaching is done in India at the undergraduate level, where you more or less are doing the same subjects again and again in the same way, was something which was better left to other people. So although I love teaching and I love the questions which came from the energy of the young people who were engaging with me, I decided that teaching also was not for me. So at this stage, one of my friends, Ganesh Shankar, who had studied with me at IISC, also studied with me at RV College. We had also worked together previously. He decided to start a startup company working on clean energy and what we would call rural electrification. You might call it energy access nowadays, but it was about the rural electrification in those days. So he had worked in a company called Selco in India, which is a social enterprise and which was working on decentralized solar and so on and so forth. And he felt that there was a space for innovation and technology and engineering in the field. 
and so he was starting this up and i didn't have anything better to do <laughs> and this was fun so we got together and we you know basically started hacking around and 6 months later we had our first customer and so it goes so that was how i got my start in clean energy that's inspiring on multiple levels the first part is just being able to kind of self reflect and figure out that something is not for you and then go out and persist and find what is actually your calling and um also taking a chance with something new and going for it well i mean in my case i didn't have so many options because i was literally trying and failing at a lot of things and i don't think it was for lack of intelligence it was for lack of intrinsic motivation so i tried a lot of different things and i found in my work with ganesh and the company which we founded together i found something which gave me you know like a never ending excitement and a never ending story which was different every day which was what i craved and it helped me find the application of um whatever talents and skills i, I possessed and it never stopped so that's that's what happened basically cal newport has this great uh, line about don't follow your passion follow your effort and for me what happened was that i started following my effort at that point having failed so many times at so many other things i'm i'm also curious usually when you try a new area there's there's a tendency to second guess yourself or just feel like there's a barrier to entry because it's completely new you just intimidated by it how did you go about doing this with the sustainability space were there some specific you know books or talks which helped you a lot of it was learning by doing and much of the learning was when you were given a problem to solve and you just had to solve it and there was no precedent and the problems were from all kinds of different domains so sometimes the problem was about okay you have a small team of 4 to 5 people and how do you execute six projects you know at the same time yeah. or sometimes the problems were you have this you have to design this piece of equipment and put it into this into this other piece of equipment and how do you validate that it's doing its job properly so nobody is there to tell you step by step how to do it so you have to figure out and so there's a protocol for figuring out how to solve problems which i guess consciously and unconsciously i've been working on through the years and i have always loved solving problems when i was growing up i used to you know solve all kinds of problems when i used to program computers for fun and i used to love solving math problems as well i think generally the same principles which you would follow some of them apply so, so i can share some of the principles one for example is leverage the talents of others so if you are in a group work setting find out who can do what you can do and just leverage so that that would be my first strategy now another would be you know when i'm getting into a field to balance you know what i call machinery versus intuition the thing is we all have some intuition which is there and is guiding us and can get buried under you know too much reading and too much theory which we are learning so on and so forth but that's also important so when i'm getting into a field 
I become aware of the tools which are available, but I don't let them overwhelm me if, if I can help it. And I try and follow my intuition. I'm very light in my reading. I go around all over the place. I just do whatever I want to while I'm getting the lay of the land. There are also other principles. I mean, I got a great one from Donella Meadows, who was a fantastic scientist and systems thinker. And I mean, she she was like, she wrote the first, she did the first computer modeling on sustainability way back in the 60s and 70s and wrote a book called The Limits to Growth. Her uh, approach to solving problems is called going down the rabbit hole. And she says, you know, you have to follow the problem where it leads you. And there have been problems which I haven't been able to solve. But, you know, when I'm getting into a field, generally, I sort of use a combination of tactics and including a lot of group work with other people, which is mostly how I'm learning. It's great if you have somebody who already knows how to do it and you can learn from them in a kind of apprenticeship. But even if it's not there, you can sometimes do it. Finally, I think one of my sort of key principles nowadays is something I call linear until nonlinear, which is where you, you go at a problem linearly, one, two, three, four, five, six, left to right, top to bottom, until the nonlinearities which are there in your group or in your setting start kicking in. You know, the experience you've had with similar problems before, or the discussions you've had with somebody, or the expertise which is there somewhere in your network. So, so I would say it depends. And learning a new thing is one of the hardest things in the world. And many people do feel intimidated by it. And I feel intimidated by it. For example, right now, I'm feeling extremely intimidated about some uh, writing which I have to do. I have to write a chapter and it's been intimidating me. But I, I learned a great, a great concept from a book called The Tools by Phil Stutz and his co-author. And it's called reverse indicators of growth, which is basically if you're feeling fear about something like, you know, I'm scared about this new field, which I'm entering or whatever, it's basically because you're outside your comfort zone and it's a reverse indicator that you're actually growing. So, I mean, it's a combination of a lot of mindsets, which helps me uh, deal with things. And, and in general, I should just end on one point, which is that there are two uh, basic mindsets, which people have identified in psychology. I mean one way of looking at mindset and one is the fixed mindset and the other is the growth mindset. So, uh, you know, you can read more about it. I believe there's a book called mindset as well, which lays it out, but adopting a growth mindset generally helps. Yeah, that's, that's actually a fantastic tool set that you just shared with us. I will be sure to link the books that you mentioned in the show notes as well for the listeners. You mentioned one thing, Hari, and I've known you as well as primarily a brilliant problem solver. And of course, I've known you as a problem solver in the engineering space. It's amazing that you've stretched that boundary and applied it in different areas as well, right? For someone who is an engineer, who's probably working on a different set of problems, probably something to do with computational com complexity or performance, I did notice that at FluxGen and probably at your earlier companies, you did start by looking at system design and performance. So would you have any recommendations for engineers who are trying to solve problems in the sustainability space by applying the tool set that they already possess? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, because there are um, so many different sides to it. On the one hand, being an engineer is 
an incredible advantage when you're working on sustainability because many of the problems we have will need accomplished engineering. For example, I'm working with the Institution of Engineers and Technologists on something called Water Digital Twin for India's problems. And being able to speak the engineering languages for that is very helpful. I think also many of the energy technologies which we have, so on and so forth. I was working on a new concept of, of distributed clean energy, which was called swarm electrification, kind of like peer-to-peer -peer electrification, which had a lot of engineering in it. And, was was leveraging a lot of my understanding of control systems and you know communications engineering and all kinds of different things. So I think engineers they do have a huge role to play in the whole you know, sustainability challenge and we have to rely on them. But that being said, there are also some limitations to the engineering mindset, which I realized only by experience. And I think the first time I realized this was when I was in a situation where, you know, I saw, basically I saw a customer, like, I'm not going to say where or when, but you know, it was um, in, in the field, right? In a rural place, let's say, on the edge of nowhere. And they didn't like the product at all, right? And yeah. we had put so much care into it. and But the customer was like, you know, like, give me back my old thing and, you know. It didn't work. And I realized that design was a huge issue. And I actually received training from IDEO.org on design. And they are the people who their parent organization, IDEO, I believe designed the first laptop and mouse and so on and so forth. So they taught me something called human-centered design, which is starts with the process of empathy, which is not, not usually taught to engineers. Yes. So engineers are usually quite quantitatively heavy people who can use analytical frameworks and theory in order to solve problems. So they're good at that. But I realized for the first time that the limitations of my engineering mindset when, when I took those workshops, because, you know, you have to start with what your users are feeling. And if you don't start from there, if you start from the technology, yes, you can progress and proceed, but it has to meet this this design thinking at some point. And so the world of design really opened my eyes and I actually took a hiatus from engineering for three and a half years. So I would say to the engineers out there, leverage your engineering skills, but choose how you're gonna do it. So you could do it by becoming a super expert engineer, for example, who's amazingly good at designing, you know, next generation smart grids or something. Or you could skill stack, you could be an engineer and you could, you know, do psychology on top of it and you could do, you know, entrepreneurship on top of that. So I chose the skill stacking route because I saw that this, this whole approach of we can fix it with a tech solution actually didn't work, you know, even in a startup tech startup product situation. And as I learned more, I actually found out that many of the problems in the world there is a school of thought which says that uh, technological solution is part of the problem. And that's when you build more and greater technology in order to just you get swept up by it. And does it really solve the problem? Well, it's debatable because maybe some of the problems we have are caused because of the mindsets we have. And if we don't change our mindsets and try to hammer everything with a technological hammer, well, maybe it will work because 
So we did evolve to use tools and technology, but on the other hand, maybe we need to to use other parts of our minds and hearts, like for design and so on and so forth. So, 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 so there you have it. That's my answer, and you know, it, it changes every time I think about it. Luckily, I, I have a role in the world where I can work on engineering and design and policy, so and other things. So I think you, know, you have to find what works for you. Absolutely, and uh, I couldn't agree more with you, Hari, about the the empathy aspect and just the use a tool where you need to. So you need to first go back to why you're actually using or building something. So, so thanks for sharing that. And this actually leads really beautifully into my next question about how did you actually figure out, or you know, more than how did you figure out, what do you think are the open problems? today in the space at a very high level that people can kind of start delving into and solving in the sustainability space? Well, there are a lot of challenges. And, you know, I mean, many of the challenges are because of the ways in which our society is set up, in fact, or our systems are set up. When I say systems, I mean techno-social systems, you could call them. An example is, you know, the way uh, our economy runs on on basically on, on oil and petroleum and all that, right? Or carbon, right? But also other things. So, you know, like there are so many interesting challenges and so many systemic challenges which are a little difficult, more difficult to solve. But some of them are like, it would be great if carbon accounting became com- commonplace in the world. So we don't generally count the cost of carbon in whatever we do. People do propose a carbon tax from uh, time to time, including the, you know, there was an advisory panel which of the US government which figured out that climate change is going to destabilize the US economy and the global economy. So carbon accounting becomes super, super important. That's starting to happen. So that's a, that's a sort of open thing. I think like a basic problem in sustainability is, you know, matching people who want to get into the field with, you know, like the opportunities which are available. That's such a gap. I see it on a day-to-day basis. You know, I face it myself. I think another gap is like getting away from, you know, using technology, like I said, but also using systems thinking and design design thinking, doing root cause analysis when you're solving problem problems. I think a huge gap is to design public policy based on evidence and data and machine learning and things like that. It's not being done enough. There are so many other gaps. Uh, Many of the models which we can make in order to solve sustainability problems require data to be shared in the presence of uh, very powerful machine learning. So people are scared to share data. So security and privacy concerns around data, you know, are impeding sustainability in an information society. And it's like, if that sounds too abstract, then you can just say, I want to go from point A to point B in a city with, you know, minimum carbon and meeting some other criteria, including my time and so on and so forth. But I have to share data across Uber, its competitors, the public services, the bus services, the metro, this and that. None of them want to give away their data because, you know, if it's breached, then they're under liability. So how do you solve this? Right? So, so, so many problems like that. I think I'll end with one <laughs> mega problem, which has actually been recognized by you know academia itself. I, I read a brilliant paper by an MIT professor a few years ago. I, I forget his name, but I'll, I'll share the paper with you later, 
where he basically says that the sustainability movement itself is not sustainable because it's too fragmented and siloed he's talking about academia basically i mean science knew about climate change but uh, failed to stop it right so the scientific establishment is not correctly interacting with society so science itself needs to be embedded in society in a different way i mean the true purpose of science should be to help society make better choices right as well apart from just curiosity so i think you know a new social contract between the ivory tower and quote and quote reality should be created so those are some of the gaps if you want some more you know we can always continue continue the discussion no this is a, a fantastic starting point and i'm i'm happy to link you know a larger list of problems that you might have in the show notes but i think th- this should be like a large enough list for uh, people to start grappling with so uh, yeah. switching gears a little bit i'd like to ask you a little bit about your policy experience and the think tank for starters how did you decide to move into the policy side of the world because it's quite a switch from actively you know developing the way you were technologies for uh, the space it's it's a very good question so basically what happened was let's just say i was going really deep with a certain kind of technology and i went deeper and deeper and deeper into it until i hit a wall and i realized that some non technological factors need to be considered and you know dealt with in order for technology to be a success so up until that time i was i was fairly died in the wool person <laughs> let's say engineer who was looking for the the tech solution to everything but after my design training especially i realized that you know the way well the way i saw the world changed and up until that point all my work and all my experience had been on technology or technical things or scientific approaches and so on and so forth and i suddenly realized that there was a huge huge gap which i knew nothing about which i had to learn about and the other thing which happened was that i realized that i needed to work on different problems because you know like when you're experimenting at the edge on sustainability what happens is that sometimes you get stuck you get stuck on one thing and then you know if you put all your eggs in one basket then you're stuck right so for a person like me i felt i was getting stuck and and i felt i was getting stuck because of some non technical factors and i felt i needed to learn more about them so that i could know how to not get stuck the next time i dealt with those those problems so so design changed everything for me and i basically i i i sort of looked around for what i could do which was not technology but was still sustainability and i met uh, somebody who you know gave me offered me a job developing policy advisory based on research which would be conducted in the field something which you might call evidence based policy or you know action research advocacy or something like this i had no clue what it was so i immediately signed up and i got assigned to a project on food security and participatory governance and what we did was we were looking at how the food security system of india works and we went into the villages of karnataka and we we executed a project across 180 field sites and we were basically seeing the factors behind how well the 
food ration shops which provide subsidized food to low income people how well they were performing and it was a very simple thing we did, we ran an experiment where we looked for you know how training a citizen monitoring group would to to audit their shops would you know change the performance of the shops and the funny thing is that i you know i was away from technology i was away from everything engineering so on and so forth i didn't miss it a bit but it was running there in the background of my mind and i mean it was it was quite strange because we started using analytics to figure out which were the best models and then we started stress testing them you know i was felt like an engineer developing some kind of a model except that the the software wasn't executing on a cpu the software was actually the the model design which was executing in the real world you know through through the sessions which we had with our trainers with those groups so so on and so forth so i learned a great deal from there and i also learned so so we found we actually found something non trivial which was that self help groups of women entrepreneurs were actually the most if you pick the, your 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 monitoring members from there they were actually measurably much more effective than you know the the government model which was randomly selected and then we got into like more research trying to find out why and i also had to deal a lot with the government and um, also with many other stakeholders and i learned many skills of navigating somewhat treacherous uh, environments where you have to be careful on your positioning and what you say and you have to facilitate processes to occur which have stalled due to various reasons whether it's at the local level or you know at the state level or at the district level or even you know at the in the whole on the whole scene so i i i sort of learned a lot about stakeholder management and i learned a lot about strategy and you know i learned a lot about how to talk to the government and interestingly enough the skills which i picked up there i i believe the project was was considered a success and although unfortunately it wasn't scaled up the approach which we had wasn't scaled up but i believe the skills which i learned working at uh, the nonprofit where i worked have enabled me to do things like which are out of the world for me now for example i can skill stack engineering with policy now and what's happening is i'm doing this with some of my work where we're developing a concept for a water digital twin for india and somehow or the other i'm getting the roles to do some of the advocacy i'm working on data security and privacy as well for for indian smart cities i've started co-authoring advocacy articles about that one of the first things i learned about policy was that you can actually have any qualification and get into policy because policy is one of those things which touches every aspect of human life so you can be an engineer and get into policy you can be you know a botanist and get into policy you can be a, a nurse and get into policy because you can always find what policy should hold and so so that's that's what i would say about policy that's uh, that's actually fantastic and it's it's also amazing how you tied the threads together in the sense that policy would be for instance looking more at the breadth of the field and issues and then tying it back to your experience as a problem solver and then applying the same techniques i i also was wondering hari for for somebody who wants to dabble in this space or start contributing and and i'm so glad you said you don't need a specific set like a specific skill set to be able to do this do you have any recommendations for non profits that they could volunteer with 
possibly as a you know to shadow or to start contributing in some uh, way yeah definitely there's the initiative for climate action which i'm associated with which is actually full of lawyers and they have many lawyers who are really interested in different kinds of things although there is a difference between law and policy there are people who understand and are interested in policy i i myself i'm interested in policy so if they want to work on climate change policy for example they could go there there are also other organizations like the one where i worked which was the public affairs center based in bangalore in in india i mean let me just be frank though there is some kind of let's say a gap between demand and supply when it comes to policy advisory or evidence based policy and and what i mean by that is it's one thing to generate analyses and recommendations and policy briefs and so on and so forth but you also need to have encouragement for the ecosystem to foster this and people who are willing to listen to it and engage it into their actual policy so at the end of the day you need all these things lining up for your policy work to be successful and let me just put it this way when it comes to policy work it's non-profit work because it's not something you can invest in and then get a return on and when you when you compare in a country like india at least when you compare that kind of non-profit work with let's say building a toilet or building a school or building you know or educating somebody or giving somebody food security it's it's deprioritized so i don't know how the situation is in other parts of the world i believe it will probably be very dif- different in societies where evidence based policy shaping is is valued but i i think we're still getting there in india and i'm not saying people are not trying i'm just saying that finding non-profit gigs where you can do policy is a little hard right now as far as i've seen but if if you want to do it as out of you know passion and i do it i do much of my policy work as ecosystem building so but that being said they're all linked your policy will drive projects which will then drive more research and then more policy recommendations and then so on and so forth so so, so i i hope that's helped ashwini <laughs> because policy is a hard space in india but i'm i'm ha- happy to you know like uh, if somebody reaches out to me for 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 more recommendations i'm happy to talk to them. Uh, that's fantastic and hari before i close this out i have one last question and i know this was a recurring theme you spoke about empathy you spoke about being able to negotiate with people how important a role do you think that's going to play in us solving some of these big challenges yeah definitely i mean when i think about it i think like the biggest gap probably which i'm not sure if i mentioned was like i think leadership is a huge gap so by that i just mean the ability to influence and i think also you know multi stakeholder approaches where everybody is heard out and you know decision making is more collaborative and consensus based and not as risky as a very top down approach is something which needs to be seen more of in the world whether it's in the private sector or whether it's in government or governments around the world i think that's very important i think also for consumers to start empathizing with the human beings and animals and you know the other living things including plants 
which were part of the production process of all the things which they consume, right, is super important because there's this whole thing about you know capitalism. They say that it alienates you from other people, and I I found that to be a bit true, and I think you know maybe capitalism itself needs to evolve a little bit. Many of our problems are you know so related to that alienation, and I think starting from a place of empathy whether it's in policy design or you're designing a product for somebody or you know you're you're working together to solve something at least the education where i which i received i didn't get any training on this stuff and it was only when i learned design that i started thinking about empathy it became a lens basically and i realized by that time that although i was quite intelligent at certain technical aspects there were some other kinds of intelligence which i was just missing altogether which were resulting in my own life in certain failed outcomes and so on and so forth and i found out later that it has a name and that is called emotional intelligence and i then realized that i was actually terribly lacking at this but the good news was that um, unlike you know iq traditional iq or unlike maybe like how fast you can run or something like this social emotional intelligence isn't limited so you can keep working at it you can keep building it up and it's basically unlimited and and i i've started working on it so i do think empathy is a great place to start thank you so much for sharing that with us is there a way that our listeners can reach out and contact you if they have more questions in, on this yeah sure i'm always happy to get in touch with people regarding this you can always reach out on linkedin but do send a message if you want to connect there and and you can always email me at contact@solvesustain.com so this is where i'm doing most of my work now perfect thank you so much i will uh, link that in the show notes as well i learned a lot from this hari so thank you so much for making the time for this conversation thanks ashwini i mean this has been a great experience and honestly i love Uh, I love doing it because it made me think as well and I do hope that some of these thoughts will be useful to some of of the people who might be listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode. Please follow us on LinkedIn at Through the Corporate Glass and on Twitter at Corporate Glass and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our website through the corporate glass.com. 